Okay, take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn with me one last time, hopefully, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. This will be the fifth lesson in this series, the Manifold Wisdom of God, part 5. And we're going to try best as I can to finish this chapter up because there's some of these things are pretty much self-explanatory. We're going to spend some time on the first couple of verses, and then we're just going to kind of quickly go on through and give a few implications of what's taught in these last four or five verses of this chapter. I, one of the things that has always amazed me is the true, genuine love true, genuine love that God gives between his children. You know, I, it, <clears throat> I, I know that you and I, we have friends in this world, and there's people, you know, I have family just like you have family, and I do. I love my brother. I do. You know, I love my mother and my father just like you loved uh, your mother and your father. Uh, I have friends that I've been friends for decades. For you know, I was thinking this last week, me and Kenny are coming up this year, be 48 years since we graduated high school. And I've had friends from back in Manny High School, and I do look forward to seeing them occasionally. I, mean, I told them the last time when we had the 30-year class reunion and nobody hardly showed up to it, I told them, I said, I'm not coming back to 50, and I've kept that promise. I'm not going back to, to 50 years hits us uh, again. But the relationship that we have one with another goes far beyond any relationship or love or devotion or dedication that we have to men and women of this world. I mean, you think about what, what, what's going on here. This man, the Apostle Paul, and that's what he was. He was a man. I mean, I, we, we have a tendency because of everything that's programmed into us religiously to look at these people as something more or less than they, what they were. They are sin- This man, as great as he was, as mightily used as he was, as far-reaching as the, the ministry God had entrusted into his hands went, Everything that he did, everything that he said, everything that he accomplished, how was it accomplished? Not by his strength, not by his might, not by his wisdom or intelligence or delivery or faithfulness. What was it? I am what I am by the grace of God. You know, I, I, he said over the, the, in 1 Corinthians 15 that he exceeded everything. This is him now. He, I, I went beyond every one of them in what I did. But then he turns right around because that sounds prideful and it, it, you know, to the human nature it is. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. But the thing was, this man, this sinner, saved by God, same grace that saves you and me, same righteousness imputed to us, same Holy Spirit that indwelt him. Now think about this, same spirit that indwelt him, where's he at now? Paul had Christ in him, the hope of glory. What have you got? (laughs) Same exact thing. Yet this man who previously hated everybody that was of this way and had had such a reputation of that bitter hatred and vitriol that was in him toward anybody who worshipped this Christ and believed this gospel that when the Lord was pleased to convert him, people were still scared to death of him. And yet out of love to his God and love to the, those that were God's chosen people, what did he do? I'm going to preach the gospel to you. 
And here's the thing. Paul genuinely, truly loved all those that he came in contact with that had believed that same gospel and had that same hope. And we see that in our text this morning. Because notice what he says here in verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Well, let's just back up for a second. Read verse 13. It leads us into verse 14. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is this? And think about this. He says, wherefore, he says, according, he says, for this cause, I bow my knees. What, what, what's bowing his knees talking about? It's an act of prayer, what it is. Now, I, one of the things that I, I, I need to make clear here now, because I, I mean, I remember that, you know, when, when before the Lord revealed himself to me and in me, I thought that true prayer, the only place you could do it was where? <laughs> Had to be in some dark place, you know, some quiet place, away from everybody. You know, that it was just, it was kind of, it was, it's kind of like a ritual, what it was. It was a routine. And you know, I had I had this idea of what I thought prayer was. And I was quite quite faithful to praying in the way that I considered prayer. But when he talks about bowing the knee, he's not talking about that physically, in order for you to pray, what do you got to do every time? You have to get down on your knees. It's a, it's a bowing of our knee where? In our soul, in our mind, in our heart, in our understanding. What do we recognize? That our God's absolutely sovereign. That he sits on the throne of His grace and that He works all things after the counsel of His own will and that He Himself is God and what are we? We are that thing. And so we humbly bow to Him because we cannot in and of ourselves accomplish anything. And so when He says here that He bends His knee and he's, what he's saying here is, I'm praying to who? I'm praying to the, first of all, who's he praying? To the Father. Father who? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now by this phrase, for this cause, Paul tells these Ephesian believers that he prays for them. That he prays for them. And he does it. He tells them. I mean, you think, well, you don't have to tell them, tell me that. He wants them to know. You know what he does? The reason he prays for them is why? He loves them. He has a concern for them. He has a regard for these Gentile believers that have rested in Christ. And see, here's the thing. From, from everything, that I, and I looked a long time until I actually was able to tie all the verses together, the Apostle Paul spent somewhere close to or maybe even a little beyond three years with these believers in Ephesus. Stayed there for a while, preaching the gospel to them. Each Sabbath day, preaching Christ in the temple there in that region. And when he was about to leave, hold your place here in Ephesians. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, when he was about to leave them, he called for the bread, for the elders of the church of Ephesus and he called them together and he admonished them. Look here at verse 17, Acts chapter 20, 
verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they would come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many fears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, knowing not, not knowing the things that shall befall me, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's what he had done to these believers in Ephesus. What had he done? He had testified the gospel of the grace of God. He says, And now, behold, I, have, I, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing. What is he telling them? You're not going to do it anymore. You're not going to see me anymore. You will not see my face ever again. Wherefore, I take to you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Take ye therefore unto yourselves and to all take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath given you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know that this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples. Therefore watch and pray. Watch and remember that by the space of, here's how we know he was there, that three years, by the space of three years, I cease not to warn you, one, warn everyone night and day. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. They all share the same inheritance. You see that? And his hope and his desire is for them, for their comfort, for their encouragement, for their strength. He said, I don't count any of this dear to myself. What's his main concern? The church, God's people, those that he had preached the gospel to. And see, Paul's mention in his prayers for them were an encouragement to them. You know what he's encouraging them to do? Pray for one another. Now, you think about that, and think about yourself, and I think about myself a lot. How often do we pray one for another? Huh? Did you, do you ever, this week, and I, and I say I don't ever ask anybody, and I wouldn't want you to know what's going on in my life this week as well. But how, how many times this week have you prayed that the Lord would allow the gospel to go forth in strength and in power to the praise, glory, and honor of his grace? How many times have you through this week, through this new year that we're in, remembered to pray for your brethren? If they're sick, pray that the Lord would be merciful and gracious and his will be done in their heart, life, mind, soul, and understanding. If they're troubled, 
and in difficult situations, praying that Lord, the Lord would uphold them and strengthen them and encourage them. And so his encouragement is for them to pray for one another. But listen, you know what else he's calling on them to do? You pray for what? The work of the ministry. You pray for me. You pray for Barnabas. You pray for Peter as this gospel goes forth. Now, I know just as well as you do, and I believe this with all my heart, do you think that there are any sinners out there that were chosen in Christ before the foundation world, do you think there's any possibility any of them cannot be saved? Absolutely not. I know based on God's testimony, his sheep hear his voice, and they come unto him, and he gives unto them eternal life. I take him at his word, all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. So that lets me know whether it's my son's your children, my granddaughter, your grandchildren, my family, your family, my friends, your friends. If my enemies, your enemies. If they are God's elect, what's God going to do? At some point in time, according to his sovereign will and purpose, according to his divine decree, he's going to bring them unto the gospel. And he's going to open their hearts and their minds and their understanding and reveal Christ in them, the hope of glory. I believe that. And if I didn't believe that, I'd quit doing what I do. I know God, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes only one way. How? Through the declaration of the gospel. That's why we, we value and we, we do everything that we can to make sure that what we preach here, which goes forth over this worldwide web, in hope and in prayer that if there's anybody out there anywhere that are his elect, what will he do? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. But even though I believe that, that God's going to save his people, that doesn't mean that I just sit back and say, well, you know, he's going to save me, he's going to save him whether or not I do anything. Is that the attitude we're to have? That's almost primitive Baptism view on things. I know this, I know God's absolute sovereignty. You know what else I know? I know that, that God, God has purposed and determined to use means to call his people to true faith and true repentance. The number one primary means is what? The declaration of the gospel, right? We know that from Romans chapter 10. The preacher, that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For therein, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. Men have to have this righteousness revealed to them. But here's the thing. Another means that God has determined to use is you know what he's determined to use? Prayer. Prayer. Because, I mean, you think about this. If God has determined to save somebody according to his sovereign will and purpose, you know what he does to his people? I mean, this is the thing. God moves on his people's heart to pray what? Pray my, pray, pray my, save my granddaughter. No. <laughs> I do want her saved, but Lord moves on us to pray what? Lord, <clears throat> send forth labors into the harvest. Fields are white under harvest. Lord, call your sheep, whoever they are, wherever they are. I, see, that's the thing. 
when you start mentioning people by name and praying for individuals by name and calling on God to say, what if they're goat? We're not calling on God to turn goats into sheep. We're praying on the Lord to call out his people in each successive generation. But we do pray that the gospel would go forth in the power of his Holy Spirit with clarity and sincerity and with simplicity. Because here's the thing, all the labor, all the labor, all the study, all the preparation, all the scattering of the word through preaching and teaching and through our private witness and testimony among our friends and family. You know what? It's to no avail unless the Lord's pleased to bless it. Listen to you. For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am Paul, and another, I am Apollos, are you yet, are you not carnal? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? What are they? But ministers by whom you believed. That's all they are. Even as the Lord gave to every man. Now think about that. <clears throat> you know what that tells me? Don't get caught up with who? The messenger. This is not about men. Huh? I believe this firmly with all my heart. I, I am your pastor, and God has given me the privilege and the responsibility to preach the gospel to you people for 30, I don't know, I don't even know, the time, 30, nearly 36 years, and it's passed so fast, it has. But this is not my ministry. <laughs> it's not. The effectiveness of ministry is not measured by the man that stands up here and speaks to you. The effectiveness of the ministry, first of all, primarily rests with God, but it is as he, he moves each and every individual within the church, bad minute, church God, family to do what? To perform their role in this gospel ministry. That's what we're going to talk about when we get over in Ephesians chapter 4. The, the pastor-teacher's work is for what? It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the what? <laughs> the work of the ministry. Look, I mean, we do reach a bunch of people. I mean, I, it, it's amazed me. This was the second month in a row that we had over 4,800. You know, last month we had over 12,000. It dropped off quite a bit this month. We, we still had over 4,500 sermons listened to. This month. That's a lot of people. But folks, I can't reach out to where your family and friends is unless they happen to get on the internet and watch these things. If the gospel gets to your family, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your brothers and sisters, family and friends, how's it going to have to get there? What's your responsibility to do? To come here and sit and listen and learn and be prepared to do what? Be ready to give to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear. It's, it's our ministry. Because not only does it prepare you, you know what it does? Getting, getting to study these things, I get to, it prepares me for my personal work within this local assembly. He says, I have planted, and he did. Apollos watered. What did he do? 
He comforted and encouraged just like Paul. If Paul preached the gospel, they believed the gospel unto Paul. What would what, what Paulus do? He preached the gospel to them, and they were encouraged and strengthened and admonished through Apollos' preaching. But here's the secret. God gave the increase. God gave the increase. So then, listen to this. Take this to heart. It's not he that planteth that's anything. Neither he that watereth that anything. But God that gives the increase. That's the thing. God's chose. This, this is what this role is that I'm doing to you. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. <laughs> it's not something to be proud of. It, it, it's not by the strength of the mean. I, I, it just troubles me when people make statements that he's my favorite preacher. Why? Does he sound better? Does he look better? Is he more eloquent? Has he got a better delivery? I, if that's what we're following, that's what you got. Do you see that? It's what is he saying? Does he point you to Christ and him alone? Does he direct you to a righteousness you had no part in producing or maintaining? Or do you go away thinking about the man? See? Because I'm going to tell you what, this ministry does not rest or reside on the guy that stands up here. It resides on the message that goes forth from this pulpit, whether it's me or Kenny or Aub or anybody else or Bill or, 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 or Gary Shepard, anybody else that ever stands here. That's what's important. What are they saying? I don't care if, if they stumble and stutter like Mel Tillis. If Christ is preached, what will go the Lord do? He'll give the increase. Because it's not who plants, it's not who waters, it's God Almighty by His Spirit through His Word that blesses what He has sought to accomplish. But I'd, I'd have you notice something else here too, that Paul prays to the covenant God and Father, and he's praying to them concerning these brethren's preservation as well as the perseverance, because what's coming their way? What did he just say to them in verse 13? Trouble came my way. What's coming your way? You're faithful to the truth. Stand dogmatic and steadfast in Christ and His righteousness alone. What's coming your way? Persecution. Over the testimony of the gospel. Look at verse 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now you kind of got to put these two verses together. Because he prays to God the Father, and who's he the Father of? How does he phrase it at the end of verse 13? The Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is that? That's the anointed, that's the, the, the owner master, Lord, Jesus, Jehovah our salvation, Christos. What? The Messiah, the anointed, the sent one of God. So he prays to the Father of the anointed Savior and Redeemer of sinners. And he says of this, this anointed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's the whom, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This, this word whom, it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the whole, now think about it, the whole family of God, those 
now here's the whole family of God. Those saints that are in heaven, souls of just men made perfect, and in earth, who's that? That's the justified saints that are remaining here, toiling and laboring, troubled and persecuted. And he says, is named. Now, we'll get to that is named in just a minute, but I want to show you something else here. That word translated family of whom the whole, whole means all, everyone. The whole family. That, and it, here's the thing. You know what that word family means? It means lineage, running back. Now, I'm probably going to get this word wrong. <laughs> lineage running back to some progenitor. Ever heard of Ancestry.com? What are, you, what, are, what are we trying to do when we go on Ancestry.com? I got tired of it because they start wanting you to pay more and more and more to get back further, further, and further. I gave up. I'm like, I can't spend that much money to find out who I came from. Beside that, what does it matter? But so, somewhere back in the past, what? There's a source. And I guarantee you, if you could do it, you could probably, you can in some way, fashion, form, trace yourself back to Adam. It's, far as human nature is concerned. Every, everybody standing on this earth, black, white, uh, Hispanic, any, any, any nationality and race, where they all start from? Adam and Eve. Every one of them. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying that Christ is the, the head or he's the whom the whole family of, of on, in heaven and earth is named. He's not... He's not this whole family thing, this word whole family. It's not talking about and it's not teaching the universal fatherhood of God or universal brotherhood of mankind. It's not what he's talking about. It's a specific group. And Paul's already identified who makes up this whole family, who it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. There, there's, there's the whole family. Blessed us with all spiritual blessings, where? In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So who's the progenitor of this whole family? Where's the ancestry traced to? <laughs> Are we not called heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ? <laughs> And he chose us where? In Christ our head. The rest of what Paul writes in this verse clears up who, who, he, who Paul's praying for. And who he's praying to. The original word translated is named, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know what it means? It means to give a name to. Or to be named. Here's the best translation of it, to bear the name of a person. I know there's some that don't do this in the society in which we live, but when you married your wife, what would your wife do? Hmm? We were getting Pam finished up on Medicare this week, and uh, you know her, her name is Pamela, and they, they ask her, what is your maiden name? What was her maiden name? She was Pamela Comma. Right? And when we got married, what did she do? She took my name. My boys bear my name. It's not, not 
Matthew and Jeremy McCormick. It's Matthew and Jeremy. They, they got my name. Why? They're my lineage. They come from me. Our Lord used the same word concerning his sheep. Listen to you. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep. There it is. By name. And leadeth them out, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep, because they bear his name, what do they do? They follow him, for they know his voice. The Apostle John put it this way. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, he used the same word. He said, He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the church, to him that overcometh. How do we overcome? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. This ain't pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. They over, we, 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 who is it to overcome? Even he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It says, To him that overcometh, Will I give to eat of the hidden manna? You know what we're eating today? What we eat when we read in His Word? What we eat when we we study His Word and we listen to His gospel preach? What are we eating? We eating the hidden manna, not the manna that came it corrupted. We eat the hidden manna, and listen, He'll give us. This is this is every generation. This is not something in the future. This is not after the or before the great tribulation that talked about by all these. Voodoo people is what they are. I think they are. I used to be one of them. Out there never, never laying in dispensationalism. That's not what he's talking about. He says he gives to each one of these, these that are named, what does he give them? He gives a white stone. You know, back in that day, white stone, you're accepted and approved. Black stone, you're rejected and condemned. He gives to us a white stone. And in the stone, in that stone that's given to us, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receives the stone. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting, that white stone, what's Christ called? Huh? He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to who? To the reprobate. But to us, what is it? He's chosen, precious, right? So Paul's prayer is to God, who's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ by nature, because he was the father of Christ's human nature, right? And by his Holy Spirit, he created Christ's humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But not only that, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole family's named, took his name. How do we know that? <clears throat> Two verses. Let me, let me give them to you. I, I thought I remembered them, but again, my mind ain't what it used to be. And in, in the, his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is the name whereby he shall be called. The Lord our righteousness. That's Jeremiah 23, verse 6. Jeremiah 23, 33, verse 16 says exactly the same thing with one chain. This is the name wherewith she, they'll bear my name, right? This is the name wherewith she shall be called. What do we call? What name do we bear? 
Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. That's, it's a name given. Huh? We didn't ask for it. it it's freely given. We verse 16 our text. That he would grant you according to the riches of his grace to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Here Paul prays. You know what he's praying for? He's praying that the, our hearts might be more and more established with grace. That's the Lord's will for all of his elect. It's not his desire. It's his will. The writer of Hebrews basically wrote the same truth. He said, be not carried about with strange and diverse doctrines. And I tell you, even believers, it's, it's amazing. What's, who's he warning? This isn't warning lost people. He's writing to justified saints. And he's telling them what? Don't get caught up in junk. Don't get sidetracked. What? Again, when Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's what he meant. That's where he pointed men. There's a lot of things in this book we need to study and we need to apply and we need to walk by. No doubt about it. But all of our walking by any of it or all of it does not change our present abiding state or position in the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't get, don't get over on something that does not affect anything. For it is a good thing for the heart to be what? Established with grace. What's grace? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he did, what he actually accomplished. Where he sits right now ever living to give eternal life to everyone that the Father gave him. Not with meats. What does not with meats mean? That, that's things that, meats is anything down here. It's a physical reference. Which have not profited them that are occupied thereby. I know so many people, even brethren, true believers, that seem, they got to search for something, trying to find something new, something unique. Something that'll keep them motivated. I tell you what, if you ever find the pearl of great price, you sell everything you got and you're content with the pearl. You hear me? He's the most important thing. Because listen to me, if you're a child of God, your lot in life for, throughout eternity, you know what you're going to forever be? We will be forever those that follow the Lamb wherever, whithersoever He goeth. <laughs> well, then why don't we start following Him here? Follow him in his word, in his promises, in his grace. And see, this is, this is spiritual strength, and it, 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 it has to be put there in, in our hearts and in our minds and in our Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit making, listen, what does he make effectual? Our, our feelings? Our emotions? No, what? His promises. And that's accomplished how? How, how? how are you going to be established with grace? You come sit and listen. This week, and what do you do? Pick up this book. Read this book. Join us on Wednesday night. We don't have a Wednesday night service. I remember you know, years ago we had a Wednesday night service. and People would come on Wednesday night. It wasn't very many, but they'd, some would come. 
You, got, you basically have a Wednesday night. Not, it's not a formal service like what we have on Sunday morning, but we, we stick to the scriptures, do we not? The ones that join us. Join us there. Because what's it for? It's comfort and encouragement. Because here's the thing. Our God's promise is this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I tell you what, our souls are more and more strengthened as God the Holy Spirit assures us that Christ's destiny and our destiny are one and the same. As he is, so are we in this world. John put it like this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe, you might continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. I tell you, the, the, one of the ways we glorify and honor God, you know what we do? We take him at his word. Doesn't have anything to do with how I feel. God has promised me eternal life and his life is in my life. His, my eternal, that eternal life is where? It's in Christ. It's got nothing to do with me. Nothing. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded, that you being that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Think about these words. Paul prayed in, in the comfort that they ought to bring to those that are called to God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That word translated may dwell, it means to dwell or inhabit. I tell you this much, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, you know, where did God dwell in the, in, the, in the Old Testament? Huh? Where did he tell Moses he'd meet him at? In the mercy seat, right? And there, between the cherubs, who dwelt there? Jehovah God. Are we not called the house of God? Are we not called Christ's house over his house? He's faithful in his house. Christ is faithful in his house, in his church. And God's promise to us is what? He dwells where? In our hearts. And you look at what he connects this truth. Rooted and grounded in love. Two things that go together. Faith and love cannot be separated. You hear me? And the more that Christ's love dwells in our hearts by faith, you know what? The more we discover God's love for us. Because <laughs> I tell you, what, love begets love. You want to love God? I know it's not our strength, but how do you love Him? Read what He's done for you. Huh? Spend some time. We love Him because He first loved us. Let, let this constantly be in your mind. Herein's love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, sent his son not to be, sent his son the propitiation for our sins. Let that be your driving force. All, all, every one of the doctrines of grace, you know what they are? They're doctrines that reveal what? God's love for us. As well as what? The result of that love in us is it causes us to do what? We love him, but not only do we love him, who else do we love? We love the brethren. 
We know we've passed from death into life and that we love the brethren. Look at verse 18. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I know this much. Paul told those at Galatia or Coloss, is in Colossia, Colossians, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what does he say here? That you might be filled with the fullness of God. And I, I like the way you might be able to comprehend. That, that's to know and, and enter into and rest in what? With all the saints of God, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. What? It's, it's, you can't measure it, this love of God. It's without beginning and without end. And his prayer here is that we'll be filled with the fullness of God when we know the love of Christ. And it's, simple, it's, it's kind of similar to this, that we beheld his glory... The, you know, over in Paul said, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds, lest they see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But he went on, did he not? He told them and he told me and you the same thing. He said this, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he hath shined in our hearts, every one of us, What's he shined in our hearts to give us? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. <laughs> the Apostle Paul rejoices in the power of God engaged on our behalf in providing everything necessary for and removing every obstacle to our eternal well-being. Doesn't mean we're going to always have money in our bank account. That we're always going to have freedom in our lives. I've been watching a documentary on um, TV back with World War II. I've always been fascinated with World War II. And I tell you what, uh, those people went through some tough times. They did. And I'm quite confident, because the gospel is still here, that during that time there were some believers that went, you know, there were believers went through the Great Depression, lost everything. But you know what they knew? You know what you and I should know, and we only get this from the book. Everything that comes into our lives, where does it come from? And what's the reason behind it? I just don't understand why. You don't. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't because we don't know the end from the beginning. We ain't purposed the end from the beginning. God's got a goal, and God's going to accomplish that goal. And, folks, there's some bumps along the way, but they're bumps that are put there by God. And those bumps, what do they do? They drive us back to him to see what? That it's his power working in us. What is that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He renews our minds with his truth. And he causes our renewed minds to be motivated and our affections and our wills are motivated toward, the, toward him to do those things that are pleasing. In verse 21, we'll quit right here. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. 
Amen. We know it's a prayer because he ends it with an amen. So be it. Paul ends this prayer with a doxology. And who does he give all the glory to? Huh? To, unto the glory in the church. And how's that glory come? One way. By Jesus Christ. You think about this. Only the church, true believers, can give glory to God. Because all others, what's wrong with them? They have no fear of God before their eyes. They are unclean. They are unrighteous. They are unholy. They are not accepted in the blood. We give God the glory when we rejoice in the infinite perfections of his redemptive character as we will see them actively engaged in our salvation condition on Christ alone. And we do it for how long? How long is this thing going to last? Throughout not only this time, but where? Throughout all the ages. Throughout all eternity. I, thankfully, you know, the Lord has got a small flock in every generation. But you know what? That small flock in every generation, at the end of time, it's going to be exactly what he said it would. It's going to be a multitude that cannot be numbered. It will, it will be the fulfillment of the promise he made to our father, the father of the faith, Abraham, made not only to him, but more importantly, made to his son, Abraham's seed, that it will be a number that cannot be numbered. as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of heaven. But it's, we look around and we just see a handful. But it's God's handful. Okay, we'll stop right there. You dismiss the worship. I appreciate you.